Welcome to Let's Talk Parish. Let's Talk Parish will be an opportunity to learn about some of the people that call the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament in Sacramento, California, home. My name is Chris, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Good morning, Regina. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing so far. It's an early, it's an early start for us, but it's it a gorgeous day. It is an early start. We're sitting, yes. we're sitting in the rectory next door to the cathedral, and it's uh, eight o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. And, Beautiful uh, morning. That's yeah, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. It's a great day for a podcast. It certainly is. Yeah. And I'm delighted to be here with you. Well, thank you so much. And I understand you have brought a prayer for us to I open did. with today. I did bring a favorite prayer. It was written by St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, Edith Stein, Sure. who is a favorite of mine. So, Carmelite. Uh, so, yeah, yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So, shall I begin? Absolutely. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh my God, fill our souls with holy joy, courage, and strength to serve you. Enkindle your love in us and then walk with us along the next stretch of road before us. We do not see very far ahead, but when we have arrived where the horizon now closes down, a new prospect will open before us, and we shall meet it with peace. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. I love that prayer. I love what she says about not seeing the next stretch of road ahead of us, mm. and we just trust and we move on ahead, and um, hopefully, I guess we have to say, when we get to the horizon closes down, hopefully something new is going to be waiting for us. It always is. Well, it always you know, is. It always is. We just don't know what that's and going we don't to know. be. Yeah, it's going to be exactly. new. It could be, exactly. it could be mm-hmm. difficult. It could be, mm-hmm. we just don't know, but mm-hmm. it will be new. It will be new, and we pray for the... For the faith and the trust to, to just keep moving on. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. providence of God mm-hmm. that is the right thing. Exactly. Right? That's it. That's yeah, it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, I was when TT, who does the scheduling mm-hmm. for these episodes, uh, told me that you were going to be up next. That was a surprise because your name had not come in the, our consciousness for inviting folks. So. Um, did did you contact her? I mean, how did that come about? I did not. That's the funny thing about it. I've been listening to all of these wonderful podcasts, and I've loved them, and uh, especially Michael's, because I've known Michael since the early days. I've been a parishioner here at the cathedral since 1982. Wow. And I knew Michael. I, I think that was just about the same time that Michael arrived. And so many names and so many people he spoke about. I remember that one, and I remember <laughs> her, I remember him, I remember the Delaney's, I remember this priest, that priest. And I thought, she would be fun to do that, but I no, I didn't contact anybody. And all of a sudden, a little message popped up from Titi last week asking me if I would be interested. So I thought, I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit was calling me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think it's, so I I think it's wonderful. I mean, I've, yeah, been, I, I've enjoyed... Uh, uh, 
you know, your Facebook posts mm -hmm. and sharing your photographs, you know, mm -hmm. when you were uh, working in the airlines. The Pan Am days, which yes. Is, I mean, th th those were, <laughs> oh. you know, if you, today, if people, when people fly, they have absolutely oh, no idea what it was like back no, then. No, no, no. It was, uh, actually, it was a joy to fly Oh, back it was then. beautiful. Yeah. They were the glory days. Um, the true glory days, I think, were in the 1950s and 1960s. Mine were the 1970s, the era of the 747. And it was wonderful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Uh, I don't know how anyone really does the job anymore. I have flown and I pity them. And, you know, there, there, was all, there were always problems. You always had some type of problem passenger. I used to say there was one on every flight. Mm -hmm. And it more often than not involved alcohol okay. or just somebody mouthing off or so. But nothing like now. You know, we didn't have people beating one another up in the aisles and dragging all sorts of different types of animals on yeah. board and people, you know, people, fighting weren't, and people weren't packed in as much either there was yeah. more space inside oh that. my heavens yes the the, the, air, the planes were comfortable large seats and we did beautiful meal services full mm -hmm. course meal services in first class and even in the economy we served a nice hot dinner you know yeah. so a totally different world totally people different. people had more respect too and they people would dress up to fly. It was a different era. Yeah, you know, yeah, when my mom yeah. my mom would dress mm -hmm. up to go to the grocery store. Oh, of course. Right? Everyone I mean, it was did. a whole yes. different era. Yeah. Men would wear, you know, their their fedora hats and, their, and they dress exactly. up in suits. Just, yes, the, you yes, know, every yes. day kind uh -huh. of a thing. You my know? dad had a hat on every yeah. day when he went out to work. Uh, the, people had more respect for one another and there was more trust. Of course, we didn't have any social media. Nobody was able to go online and start... It was a different era. It, oh, totally era. Bad. Yeah. Communication no, it was, a good was different. Era. It was a changing era. You know, though. there were, uh, and yet at that, at that, in the, you know, in that time period, we still had some serious social oh, problems, yes. but they weren't really being Many, addressed. Many, no, they weren't being addressed. They were more or less pushed under the rug. Right. And things did start to change in the 1970s when I flew. Mm -hmm. The airline industry began to change too, for the worse. Oh, uh, toward no the end, yes. But through the 70s, yes, when I started flying with Pan Am, uh, you there were really all all white women okay. were hired, you know, and a lot of European women. And they, we still had stewards, but most of them were older guys that from the earlier days, they weren't even hiring men then. And then there was a lawsuit brought, and it was about 1972, I think, that we started hiring guys again, which we were, we were very happy to have the stewards join us again. Oh, bad. And, and then little by little, they started realizing that, hey, we better start hiring uh, some minorities here also. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So all the changes started. And yeah, then the, there was the airline deregulation came about, which I think really pushed things downhill quite a bit. And that was, I forget when that was, probably the late 1970s, okay. early 80s thereabouts. So, yeah. 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 Yes, but it was, it was a wonderful life. It was really now, were you tremendous. Were you raised Catholic? Were you oh, yes. I am. Um, oh, very much so. Cradle Catholic. Yes. I was born in New in Brooklyn, New York. Um, all my family, many generations of Brooklynites, into um, a very devout Irish Catholic family. Hmm. I'm an only child, but I have and still have scads of cousins. And yes, we were we were very, very much Catholic. My mother was the youngest of eight, and her oldest brother was a priest, uh, Father Tom Walsh. My 
Father Tom, I always called him Father Tom all my life, and he had a profound influence on my life, mm. earliest childhood. I just loved that man so much. My paternal grandfather was a personal assistant to Archbishop Malloy of the Brooklyn Diocese. Sure. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Archbishop Malloy. It goes back many, many years. He became the bishop in Brooklyn, in the Brooklyn Diocese in 19, I think it was 1920, 1921. And my grandfather had known him from the time that he was uh, just Father Malloy in the parish, mm -hmm. Queen of All Saints Parish in Brooklyn. And now, uh, the bishop's assistants now are usually other priests. I think usually there's another priest. But right. uh, they were very good friends. And when Father Malloy became Bishop Malloy, he asked my grandfather to work with him. So my grandfather worked for him. For, he was really a diocesan employee until his retirement in the 1940s. Wow. So um, then my mother also had another cousin who was a sister of St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. So growing up, both of my parents and all my aunts and uncles, I think I think they probably knew every priest in the Brooklyn Diocese. Oh my gosh! We I felt like I you know <laughs> lived in a wing of the Vatican, and my uncle Father Tom spent a lot of time with us. He free, he was always over for dinner, and my mother always encouraged him bring some of bring some of the curates with you. Those were the days when rectories had six and seven priests. I'm sure. Ordination classes were enormous. So uh, there were always priests coming over for dinner or for holidays or for visits. They always said, they, yeah, they knew everyone. And um, I went to Catholic school, all Catholic school for, let's see how I had 12 years of Catholic school. Okay. All taught by the Sisters of St. Joseph, the wonderful Sisters of St. Joseph. Wow. So... Yeah, we were about as Catholic as, as you, can you get. could possibly did you ever, get. Did you ever? Did you ever? Did you ever entertain the thought of uh, becoming a, a religious? Um, very, very short time when I was in grade school, because at, at that time in the 1950s, they 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 more. I wouldn't say they pushed it. But you were always given the little idea, maybe you should become a nun, mm -hmm. and we were, you know, the baby boomer classes of the 1950s. Uh, we were like 65, 67 kids in the class. There were, out of my class, I know three boys became priests. I think, oh, no I think two of them went through all the way. But it, it was just a short time that I thought maybe I should become a nun. But then, no, no, I thought, no, no I don't really think I'm going to do that. I don't think this is that. for me, you know. Um, and then did you did you go to a Catholic uh, college university? Uh, no, no. Um, all I went to a Catholic high school. High school. Wonderful, a wonderful school. Uh, still vibrant. A wonderful. It was a girls' school, Mary Luce Academy in Jamaica States, New York. And when I left there, I, I felt I needed to get. I, I thought I've got to back off a little bit. I had no intention of leaving the faith or anything like that. But I thought I just needed a little different atmosphere. Hmm. So I didn't. I, I did not go to a Catholic college, and the nuns were not happy about that. Oh, bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. They weren't too happy, you know. The, why? Why are you? Uh, because I had um, one of my aunts lived in outside Chicago, and there's a beautiful. Now, what was the college there? I'm trying to think. Of I think it was Rosary College in River Forest, Illinois, and it was not too far from where she was. And I, I had gotten some information about it, and. 
she and my mother, they both thought, that'd be a nice idea, you know, you could live with Aunt Anna and mm-hmm. you'd be able to go to Chicago and we'll visit and all. But I backed away from that and I thought, I think I'll just stay in New York. And I was interested at that time in dramatic theater, dramatic arts. Okay. Which my father was not overly thrilled about. No. <laughs> why, why, why that? You know, <laughs> so, but uh, that uh, co- uh, college was probably the least interesting time of my life, actually. Oh. And, yeah, I didn't. Um, all, all I wanted to do was, at that point, was to, to finish. I wanted to be finished with all of that and do something. So you really something. D- you didn't have a career in mind um, at the time? I had. I, I started out majoring. I, I kept changing majors. It was English and theater arts and then Spanish. And it was my father. I, I thought, I, okay, I want to write. I was always writing. That's another thing. I was always writing, always doing something, writing involved with this or newspapers or articles or and my father put the idea in my head. He loved flying and he loved traveling. And he regretted that he had never gone into the Air Force. He said, Just planes, planes. He was crazy. He said, Why don't you he said, why don't you aim for something in the airlines? He said it would be a wonderful position for a young girl and you get to travel. And so I kept that in mind. And meanwhile I kept um I kept up this sort of little writing career on the side and I applied, I, I was too young, and the first time I applied to Pan Am, um, what happened, the, the, those years were a little bit hectic and busy, but my parents, my, my parents moved to Hawaii because my father, my father had to take a very early retirement. He had a very severe emphysema. Oh. And he had a cousin who lived in Honolulu. And they they went to visit her, and he found that he felt so good there, the mm-hmm. warmth and the heat and everything. And he felt she just and, and she encouraged them, come here. Why don't you come here? Move over here. It'll be better for your health. You had to retire, and they did that, and that was quite an upheaval well, to leave the, all this New enormous York, family, all yes, Hawaii? and I all mean... the family and all the aunts and uncles and cousins and everything. It, it was it was difficult. Um, but they did it, and they were very, very happy there. And I went over there with them, and I, I applied again to Pan Am at that point. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit older, and at that time I was hired. So I was hired by Pan Am in Honolulu. Wow. And then I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do now for the time being, and I'll keep writing also. And I went away to... Miami. The training was in Miami, six, mm-hmm. six and a half weeks in Miami. And then my first base again was New York. So I was back, back home. In New I York was right again. back home again, yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny, back home again. But that's great because I had so many friends there and I had all my family. Family, sure. It was wonderful, yes. So, so I stayed there for a few years. I loved the trips out of New York. And then I returned to, I transferred to Los Angeles. Still with and Pan Am, though. Yeah, I was still with Pan Am. Okay. Yes, I got a transfer to Los Angeles, which I loved. And that allowed me to, I was able to go and visit my parents a lot. Plus, I had a boyfriend in Honolulu. Okay. And that's, I stayed in Los Angeles for the bulk of the time with Pan Am. And LA, LA was a different place then also. It was a wonderful well, the, the city. The whole world, I mean, the back whole then, world was a different place, you know, yes. I think that, uh, oh, yeah. 
I mean, just the number of people on the planet, there were fewer by a, a bunch. I mean, oh, yes, probably yes. It, mm -hmm. we may have been, we may not even have been at to six million at that mm -hmm. point, or six billion rather, because mm -hmm. it's seven billion now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it, it was it, the cars were oh, everything was different. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Twenty nine um, cents but, for so gasoline. You, so did you fly all over the world? I yes, mean, I did. Yes, yes. Out of New York, our trips were all over Europe, the Caribbean, South America. Africa. I, di I didn't get into any of the Africa trips. It needed, um, there was a needed another type of visa um, at the time, and I wasn't able to get that. So yes, it was it was Europe, mostly Europe. And when I came to Los Angeles, we did all the Orient. We had a polar trip too. We still went to Europe. There was a polar trip from Los Angeles to London, and the round Pan Am's famous round the world trips that went from Los Angeles. London, and then, um, oh, what was now? Frankfurt, Beirut, Istanbul, uh, Pakistan, New Delhi, Bangkok, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and then back to Honolulu and back to Los Angeles. Back to LA. Yes, long, long trip. Or the reverse. Either or the, way. Sure. Yes, yes. 11, 12 day trips. And you got to be young to do those. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you, have that a, was do you have like a. And all the South like Pacific. a story that you like a favorite something you know a favorite story of something that happened while you were there were for so many um let's see there I think my favorite favorite of all stories the Shriners convention okay we had a 747 more than three quarters booked with uh, Shriners on their way to a convention in Honolulu. Mm. And I don't know if you know anything about the Shriners. <laughs> Fun-loving guys mm -hmm. that they are. Um, it was like a circus on board. Oh, I'll bet. And I forget how many, well, the th the, it was 300, what, 360 or 380 people capacity on the 747 then. So there were probably over 250 of, of passengers. Those are the ones that wear the fez hats. They wear they, the fezes, yes, yes. Yeah, they drive they around do, little yes, cars. Yes, yes. They, they do tremendous charitable work. Sure. The Shriners Hospital here. For children's. Wonderful charity. Yeah. And But they're crazy. You know, and they, <laughs> they let loose when they go anywhere. So we had a few normal, sensible people on the plane also, and they didn't know what hit them. The entire flight, we had... Oh, yeah, they had their fezes on. They all had their wives with them. And um, we had guys going around making balloon toys, you know, oh for any gosh. kids there. Uh, some of them with musical instruments going up and down the aisle. At one point, there was a conga line. And our, on the I airplane. think we both, maybe the young people don't know what a conga line <laughs> used to be. It was a 747. So they started a conga line. Which and is huge. And it was huge. going all around the plane. And at one point, and all of us got in on it too. You know, we were, we were, the flight attendants were part of it. Uh, the, the wives were in the galleys helping us dish up meals. And those <laughs> days, you know, we actually dished up hot meals sure. and vegetables and meat and everything. All, all of our um, regular routine, forget it. You know, we, it was like a party in the skies. And they had confetti, and it was just it, absolute chaos. Oh my God! But it was it was crazy. It was fun, and I know that at one point, 
the guys, the pilots who were up, you know, the 747, they were up on the top there. Sure. Um, a little ways out, somebody called down and said, you know, what the heck is going on down there? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? And the, uh, the captain, the pilots came through a few times to see what's happening. And, you know, anybody else that they saw in a uniform, they'd, oh, come on, join the party. They were, oh having, they were having so much fun. So when we did start to enter Honolulu airspace and the announcements came that we've got to, we're going to be landing in such and such a time, please mm -hmm. get, the cabin was a mess. We were trying to clean up as much as we could and, uh, hysteria was still raining. You know, we couldn't stop them. They were having so much fun. And there were a couple of children on board also, and the kids were having a grand time. They had all these balloon toys. But and now it's time to get back in stuff. their seats, yeah. right? So I remember that our captain finally he gave an announcement and said, look, he said, you got to sit down or I'm never going to be able to land this thing. <laughs> he said, you want us to ditch somewhere in the Pacific? We'll run out of fuel up here. I can't. He said, you've got to sit down, put your seatbelts on, be quiet, just get in your seat so we can get into Honolulu. It was a riot, and when we finally landed, the poor ground crew people would come on to clean mm -hmm. the plane. Mm -hmm. The first ones walked in, and they see confetti hanging and balloons all over the cabin. What, what happened in what here? What happened? So that that was that was the craziest. That was the craziest mm -hmm. flight of all. Um, but there, there were some other wonderful ones. We um, we used to fly to. Australia, Sydney, um, oh. from, from Los Angeles. We had all the South Pacific, Asia. The Australian flight was wonderful. It was very, very long, but it was so long. We had about two and a half days layover there. It was like a vacation. Sure. And we had we had some Australian team on board once also. They were wild. They were wild. But it it you know there were so many memorable moments of. Um, during that Korea, it would be hard to go through all of them. Sure. It was just a wonderful. How long were you? How long were you with Pan Am? Uh, say, I started in 1970, and I left um, finally in 77. And the reason I left, things were changing, but my father got really sick, mm. and he had um, he had lung cancer, and it um, actually he had um, a melanoma, okay. which you know in the lung and. And I've just felt that I thought I, I want to be home for a while. Um, and we, we were having, there was a strike coming up and there were a lot of things happening within, uh, within the company and the industry itself. And I, I thought, I think I'm just going to take a long leave here and I'm going to go home and help my mother mm -hmm. with dad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I did and I was glad I was there. I wanted to be there with him for those last few months before sure. he died. And he, he was only 67. He was too young, much too young. That's so, young, yeah. Too, yeah, yeah. So uh, after he died, I just thought, well, you know, maybe it's time to do something else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dur during these, during those Pan Am years too, I remember wherever I was, I'd find the church. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you. I mean, how do you practice your faith when oh, you're flying all over the well, world? Well, you know, the, there's more or less there, there's a dispensation on that too. Uh, that if you're um, you know, if if you've got to fly at a certain time and mm -hmm. you have to fly, you, you do it. You have that's your job, and you do it. And I I managed no matter where I was, if I could, I would get to a church. Mm -hmm. I find I I had my favorite churches. There was a little church in London I used to go to all the time. It was a little hole in the wall place that you'd miss. Didn't even look like a church from the outside. Immaculate Conception, and it was 
more or less, a, I guess they called it a chapel, and I would always go there when mm. I had time, even if it was just for a visit or go in and say a rosary or pray for safe passage home. But I'd find churches, and when I when I would fly to Australia, since you gain and lose a day mm-hmm. on that coming back, I remember a few times being there, and I thought, well, all right, I'm terribly tired now. Should I go to Mass? It's Sunday, or... Shall I wait? Because when I come back, it'll still be Sunday. It'll still be Sunday. <laughs> I'll let a mass there. But no, I better do it here. And then if I'm too tired, <laughs> I've done it. So, um, yeah, that's I, that. That was something that was very important to me because um, I mentioned my my uncle, Father Tom. He had such an effect on my life, and he 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 taught me so much, and he he was always giving me books and. He, he was a Roman student. He'd been ordained in Rome, the North American College. A brilliant man. And he, he spoke Italian so beautifully when he came back to New York. He was always assigned to the Italian parishes mm. in the Brooklyn Diocese because mm-hmm. of his language ability. And so many things in my life, sometimes when I'd be worried about something or troubled about something with the faith or anything, just speaking to him made such a difference. He was, uh, he was amazing. I remember... I remember one point when I was in school and I was preparing, I was studying for some test that had me very bothered and I was nervous and Father Tom was, was there with us for dinner and he said, don't worry about this test. He said, no matter what the questions are, just put down Jesus Christ. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, don't worry about anything. And my mother said, don't tell her that. If she only asked it was that easy. Yeah. I said, well, right? Father Tom, I can't do that because, and I, I kept giving him reasons. Well, Suppose they ask this, and he said, Christ is behind it, right? And, and he went he went to this whole story. That's too much. That's too much. Oh, yeah, he, he was a wonderful person. So after, um, after your father passed, mm-hmm. right, and eventually it was time to figure out what mm-hmm. you wanted, what mm-hmm. your, your next phase was going mm-hmm. to be, what was it? It was a job in an advertising agency. I had been living in Santa Barbara, and I got a job in an ad agency there. Hmm. Um, you know, for a little while, I, I drifted. Out of, what am I going to do? But I had, I thought, look for something where I can write again. And it was a small ad agency, family run, and I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I found them through an ad in the newspaper, something like that, and they hired me to write copy for them. It was a small, it was an interesting place. We, we had mostly local clients around that area, mm-hmm. few outside of Santa Barbara. It was a nice job. It was a very interesting job. And then uh, it was profitable, but the son was getting ready to take over the, the company, okay. which was fine. And he had an idea of expanding, and he wanted to move up north. And he thought, maybe, you know, we, we do even, uh, to me, when I look back on it now, I guess it was more or less greed. Um, we'll make more money, we'll do more, maybe mm. if we have a Northern California presence and clients in San Francisco. That's where he wanted to go, San Francisco. Okay. So he couldn't, couldn't find space or he couldn't go to San Francisco or somebody persuaded him that there were a massive ad agencies in San Francisco and they're not really going to need us. He opened a little place here in Sacramento and asked me if I'd go up there. And 
and I, I had never even been to Sacramento. You know, at that point, I just knew Sacramento is the, ca- the capital of the state, and that's where I send for my driver's license or something. So I thought, well, okay, why not? Maybe it'd be an adventure. And I came up here. And that's how you got to Sacramento. I came up to Sacramento, and again, Sacramento was a very different place then, too. What, what year was that, if I may uh, ask? 19, 1982. 82. 82. And because I'd been working a while there in Santa Barbara, and I, I persuaded my mother to come up with me when I first came, just to look for a place to live and get the feel of the place. And we stayed in, now we're uh, geographically here, there, there was a motel that was right up the street here, I think on 11th Street. I think it's still up there. Is it a Best Western or something like it that? It used There's to be, now office buildings. Yeah, yeah. There was yes, a nice they were, motel there. There was one on one side of the street yeah, and one on the yeah. other side of the mm-hmm. street. Uh-huh. And we stayed there, and it was May, and at that time, um, Ascension was still being uh, the, the Ascension Day Mass was still on Thursday. It used to be Ascension Thursday. I okay. think they switched it over to the closest Sunday uh, sometime in the mid-80s or so, but there was a ma- we, we had to go to Mass on Thursday. And we asked the guy at the desk, is there a church near here? And he said, oh yeah, the cathedral is two blocks, just you can walk up there, walk up to the cathedral. Right. So up we came, and that was our very first time to come into Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament. And it was, you know, even though it was old then, uh, very old, but we were, we thought, oh, this is a beautiful place. It's lovely here. It's just gorgeous. So we went to Mass, and I had taken the job, and then I found an apartment over at Governor's Square. Mm-hmm. And I convinced my mother to come up here with me because she was alone. Sure. And I felt better. And at the time, she was very healthy, very active, and she wasn't sure she wanted to do it, but she said, well, you know, why not? So she moved up here with me. Mm-hmm. And as as luck would not have it, um, the ad agency folded. That, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just, uh, uh, the whole thing was wrong from the start. You oh, know, yeah. he overextended and... It, everything went wrong, we couldn't get customers, so here I was again, here and without a job. Mm. And I thought, okay, now what are we going to do? And I thought, well, should we go back down to Southern California? Should we go back to New York, where all our family is still? But I thought, no, we liked it here, even though it, it, was, it was strange here. The, the K Street Mall, how long have you been here? You're not local, are you? I've been in, I've been in Sacramento basically since 78. Okay, well, do you remember the old I mall? I remember the old With, with the sculptures mall. or whatever they yeah. called them all over there. It was it was kind of a mess. But um, I it, it the city, it was a quiet, it was a nice place. I liked it here. And I decided to, to temp for a while mm-hmm. and get the feel of the city, see what sorts of jobs were available here, and how things would turn out. And meanwhile, we uh, we were over at Governor's Square, and this was our parish. Okay. And I I got a job um, right ne- right in this building next door, which is, is state now, but there was one little office up there. There were two little offices up there for Arco, Atlantic Richfield, okay. and Shell Oil. Were Atlantic in Richfield. I, yeah. You don't hear it, that name no, very that's, often they, anymore. No, they're gone. No, they were, they, they were merged. They became British Petroleum. 
But I went to work there, and I got very friendly with the woman that was in the Shell office, mm. which was next to us. Mm -hmm. And she's still to this day a very good friend. She eventually asked me to come and work with Shell. Work there. Would, would you like to work with us instead of tempting? And they put me in charge of doing campaign contributions. In those days, we used to give, they used to give a lot of money to the different legislators, and I was oh, in charge sure. of all of this. You know, they'd, the lobbyists would receive invitations to their fundraisers or mm -hmm. whatever they were looking for, charitable something, and they would decide what they were going to give, and then I would take that and request the money. And, and I also did some work on, um, uh, coordinating the legislation, the bills, a lot of, a lot of little different things there. So um, there we worked uh, in that building right next door, and we were there until they built Esquire Plaza. Mm. So, And we were the first ones to move into Esquire Plaza down the street. Down the street, where the IMAX building yes, is. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that whole block was a mess there, but and now it's so lovely the way they fixed that up, you mm -hmm. know, when they built Esquire Plaza, and then the Sheraton went up. And I went, so I went to Shell Oil, and there I stayed until I retired, and I, I eventually became the office manager. And oh, I was wow, government cool. relations, and I was in charge of that office with um, the, the lobbyists. And uh, we had a few different people worked with us there from, and many visitors would come from our Shell headquarters in Houston or the refinery that we used to own over in Martinez. Mm -hmm. So throughout all of this, I was a parishioner at here at the cathedral. And you worked so close. I was so close, and whenever I could, too, I'd come down to noon mass. Now, I met Michael. Michael was here then, mm -hmm. and Monsignor Kidder was mm -hmm. here then. And there, there was Father Carl Steinauer. I don't know if you knew Father Carl. No, no. No, he, he was wonderful, too. I think he, he left the priesthood. Um, I forget who some of the other priests were. We had some of the old-timers. Michael would know some of the names. Michael mentioned one on his podcast, the Jesuit, who um, did leave also. He was also an attorney, and mm -hmm. I think he's still here in Sacramento. I cannot... I was trying to remember his name. He was, he was an amazing homilist, too. Funny, very funny guy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was after Monsignor Kidder left... I think Father Brady came after. Okay. It was Father Brady, and then after Father Brady was Monsignor Murphy. So yes, the the cathedral became home. Home. And this and uh, I I was I I knew people, and I was not involved in any of the activities here though. But I knew the people. And Lola, I remember Lola. I remember when Lola had both of her boys. Mm. I remember Lola bringing the first one in his stroller. To mass and the organ at that time too was over on the on the left side. Okay, uh, yeah, opposite over, from where it is yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You know where where we usually sit now, the servers. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, on the, right on the opposite right side. There. The organ was there. It was near the door, and I forget the organist was um it was a fellow named John. Can't remember his last name, but Lola. I remember one week she had her, her the baby was in the stroller and he was fussing a little bit, and mm -hmm. the Mass was getting ready to start. My mom and I were there, and she said, um, 
So the mom said, just put him over here with us. Just put, put him over here. Sit him here. You know, we'll, we'll play with him during the Mass or talk to him. So that's what she did. And he was good. He didn't do anything. You know, he saw his mom nearby singing, sure. but he was okay. And I think we were all afraid that he'd let out a big wail all of a sudden, but he didn't. Oh, that's great. So, that yes, the cathedral became home. And um, let me see. I went over the years. So many years. So many things happened. So many. When did you become, when did you start? Um, participating as far as oh, as you know, a lector like, you, and you lecture minister, and you, yeah. uh, that came about. That came about in just about the time that we went to Westminster for the when for the, the remodel. remodel. And I was going. My mother, my mother's health failed quite a bit over the years. She she died in in oh six ninety eight, but. We, let's see, we went to Westminster about, I think it was 2003 or four. I was starting to have some doubts, Chris. My, my life was a little bit of a, I wouldn't say it was a mess. I was just troubled. I, sure. I, I, I just was at some kind of a crisis. Work was becoming very stressful. I was caring for my mother. Um, personal relationship had fallen apart, and I was troubled about that. And um, I, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was having some doubts. And I even stopped going to Mass a few days. So you're like so, having a crisis yeah, of faith. Yeah, crisis of faith, crisis, midlife crisis, whatever you call it. You sure. Know, I guess everybody faces something. I just was troubled. And I knew the, we were getting ready to close here. And we were, they had established that we would be going to Westminster. Mm-hmm. And one day, Michael, dear Michael, walks over to me, and he, he was looking for lectors. He was very short of people at that time. You know, he was in charge of all of that, the lectors, mm-hmm. the EMs, the altar boys. And he came over to me at the end of the Mass, and he said, I, will, I think you should be a lector. You know how Michael is, you know, I think you should do this. So I I wasn't sure. I said, well, I don't know, Michael. You know, I'm looking, thinking for what kind of an excuse can I use to get, right, out, to of get this, out of this, you know. Right. You know? No, no, uh, you would be good, I know. So he said, I said, well, whatever you think. And, and my mother was there, and she said, oh, yeah, you'd be very good at that. And I'm thinking, no, 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 don't, don't encourage him, please. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so he, we, we were, I think we, we were ready to leave the cathedral. And he said, I'll get in touch with you when we get ourselves set up over at Westminster, and we'll see. So that, okay, all right. So sure enough, he did phone me, and he said, uh, "I'm training people. I'm training some altar boys at Westminster. They were they were great when we were there. They allowed us to use their facilities for Michael's training, mm-hmm. different things we were doing, not just the mass." So he said, "Why don't you come down?" He said, "I'm going to be there Friday evening, and I'm training some altar boys, and I'd like to talk to you about being a lecturer and talk to you about this and have you." read a bit for me and so i thought well why not why not let's go let's see what happens so i went down and we spoke about he talked to me about the role of lecture and we read a few things and then he had me go out into out and stand at the at the little lectern there mm-hmm. in their chapel not the chapel in the church itself and read a couple of passages and he sat in the back, 
and I, I'm thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. You know, I, I can't see myself doing this. And meanwhile, I'm thinking of both my father and my uncle, Father Tom. I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll give it, give it the old college try here sure. and see what happens. So I read, um, and then he, he gave me one of the book, one of the lectures books, and he said, just pick out any, any passages that you like and that you want to read. Go ahead and just read them to me. So I did it. He's in the back, and then when he finished, you know how Michael is, he doesn't say too much. Um, but then when he finished, he came up and he said, all right, I'll schedule you. <laughs> and I said, well, um, and the mass, I think we had, we used to have one mass there. I think it was nine in the morning, maybe. So he said, I'm, I'm going to pair you with Maria Blockchin. Now, you mm -hmm. know Maria. I sure do. Lovely woman, delightful woman. She's a good friend. So he said, you and Maria can read together. And he said, I think you'll be a good team. So that's what happened. And the first week, and I remember um, the very first reading that I did was Romans 13. Now is the hour for you to wake from sleep. You know, the day is short, the time, blah, 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 blah. Well, <laughs> I here, still, so here you're yeah. in the middle of your, your <laughs> crisis, crisis of faith, your doubting, and here's this reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now is the hour for you to wake from sleep. You know, the night is short, the day is coming. And I, I don't know, Chris. Uh, I, I did, it was the first reading, and Michael was there on the side, and Maria was with me, and my mother was with me, and when I finished, he just came over to me sideways and he said, See, you didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I was, I was still very nervous, but something happened doing that mm -hmm. that I just thought, I mean, maybe it sounds strange, but I thought, I felt this is what I'm supposed to be doing here now. Wow. And I thought, this is good. This is something good. This is what I need. Mm -hmm. And he, well, he used to schedule people then, I think maybe it was every other week or every three weeks because he was short on people to help him. And in fact, it wasn't too much longer after that that he also made me a Eucharistic minister because mm -hmm. he needed ministers. So I started on my own. I I started reading more. I went back to my Bible. I, I went through all of St. Paul's epistles. I went through Acts again um, because it was it was right after Easter. Mm -hmm. Then I was reading that, and I I brought this with me. I wanted to show you. I started to read as much as I could on Scripture. And this this book. Mm -hmm. A Catholic Guide to the Bible. Mm -hmm. I got this through Ligurian. Um, it, this was the most wonderful book because it does, it takes you, it takes a lay person through the entire Bible. Nice. And explains <clears throat> everything, all Old Testament, everything, everything. Uh, because Old Testament especially is really difficult sometimes. It tells you, you know, historical books, everything. Mm. everything. So this, this, I, I just, I still go back to it and read it frequently. It's, it's wonderful. I couldn't get enough of this Bible study. I Good. was, just, I was reading everything. I was looking for uh, the Bible itself, the Gospels, mm -hmm. the letters, and anything I could find also. Which is so important for lectures. Yes, because to that, really I think be that I found in, in that is the most important thing because people have said that well. What do you have to do? 
what do you have to know? Do you have to be a public speaker or do you have to know? No, you, you have to. The most important thing is to know what you're reading. Yes. You're, you're in the play. You're speaking God's word. Yes. You have to know what you're, what you're saying. And it's almost praying when you're doing this. Yes. It's our Lord and it's the Holy Spirit who is it, speaking through you. You have to be grounded in scripture. That's the most important thing. The rest follows. Right. You know, and when you get a lot of times, um, I, I started every time I'd go up to read, I'd look up at the, the Holy Spirit, the, the, in the dome, above, above us in the dome. Uh -huh. Yes, you know, just let me, let me do this properly. Let me do this correctly. So that, that made all the difference. All of a sudden, uh, everything, everything else seemed to come together for me. And it wasn't too long after that. It was about another, that was 2004. My mom died in six. Okay. That was a big blow. That was hard. But um, I became more involved. There, you, I don't know if there still is. Um, we, there was a hospitality committee. Maria Balakshin and Monsignor mm -hmm. Murphy ran that. I don't know if they still have that or not, but I was I'm part not sure. of that. I think that when, when Monsignor left. Yeah. Um, also, Monsignor Murphy held a class one evening on the the Liturgy of the Hours. And I went to that, and then I began to pray the Hours. Mm. That was around 2007, mm -hmm. and that still is something that I do, too, that I love. That was wonderful. So from there, I've stayed with it, and I, I used to do the Vigil Mass only. Michael, we didn't. We hardly had anybody to help us at that mass. Mm -hmm. That's the were, 5 p.m. mass on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, that was a 5 p.m. Saturday, and there were three of us would rotate to read, and each one would do both readings and also serve as as EMs. Mm -hmm. And then one lady got very sick and she wasn't able to come very much, so it was pretty much just Michael and I, and Joan Denton, uh, Joan Joan had to leave Sacramento for a little while also. So here we were, we, we were doing everything <laughs> on that Saturday at that vigil. There's one week I was even taking up the collections. Hmm. And I think he, he needed people. We needed more people. And when Val Chung, I think it was Val Chung and Pat Kivella, mm -hmm. started to work on it, and they started putting more ads in the bulletin and talking this up about getting more people to join our ranks and more and more started coming in. So uh, it, it's a wonderful ministry. Sure. Absolutely wonderful ministry, and I love it, and I recommend it to anyone. And you don't have to be afraid because so many people have said that. I, I, I talked to some, well, I'd be afraid I'd make a mistake. Or I'd be afraid I'd say the wrong thing. I make no, mistakes all the time. We all make mistakes, yes. That's just part of the thing, you know. I... I I read one week, I'm not going to give his name, but I read one week with someone, and I did the first reading, and then he went up and he started to read the gospel. Oh, no. <laughs> I think, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, those things happen. It happens. It's funny. Yes, yes. They happen. Um, you know, th things happen, and, and it's perfectly all right. You know, no one's going to be struck down or anything. Right, but I, I think people. it's cool that through... Service to the church, to the people, yeah. to God. Mm -hmm. He then drew you closer to he himself. He did. He did. And was able to resolve the 
my faith was strengthened more during that period of time um, than ever before. And what is very, I always would, when I was working, when I could, I would always run down here to Noon Mass Mm -hmm. whenever possible. The funny thing now, Chris, and I always used to say I'd love to be able to go to Mass every day. My mother always used to say that because when she was well, she would come to Mass here every day. Uh, I hear Mass every single day now uh, to participate online. Sure. And now we're able to go back in the church again. And I've often thought this is so funny. This is the first time in my life that I am participating in Mass every single every day. Single day. You no, know, it's online, and amazing? I'm not always able to receive the Eucharist, but there I am. So... Yes, that resolved all of those problems. It's not to say that there haven't been plenty more. Well, of course not. No, you know, but but this is this is home and this is the mainstay. And about two years ago, I went back east. I had to retire. I didn't like retiring, but my office closed. They actually, it was swallowed up by another division of the company. But for our purposes, it was no longer, it's still there, but it's no longer shell. So I really had no choice, although I very much miss working and I, I would love to go back to work in some capacity, maybe when COVID, that was another thing I was hoping to do that, but COVID struck, so our Lord had some other idea in mind. Um, I went back to visit family for a little while to spend about two or three months with them. And even to see if maybe I should go back there and be closer to them again. And they wanted me to stay, but I was miserable. Uh. And and even I was going to a very nice church there, um, a lady of Mount Carmel, which I thought was, mothers I pray to her frequently, and I thought that's funny that this is my parish. It was very nice, but it wasn't the cathedral. I missed the cathedral so much. I just, I, I thought of it every week. You know, when I go to Mass, I thought, this isn't the cathedral. This, this is home. Cathedral. This is family now. This is home. Yeah. Yes, this is home. You know, this is a, and that was, the, that was the main thing when I came back. I thought, oh, I'm going to go back to my Mass at Cathedral and we can pick up again and start my ministry and maybe I can find another job or some volunteer work. And COVID hit. No sooner, but thank God, the yeah. Lord brought me back home here just, just in time, in the right time. Because New York just, was a hot spot. Oh, my heavens, yes, yes. It I was, was in New York and in Pennsylvania, and in fact, two people that I knew back there are no longer with us um, because of COVID. But I was home, and uh, it, it's been hard because I've been wanting to do things, and a friend of mine... Uh, said something to me. Actually, she wrote something to me a few weeks ago. Another beautiful soul. She's not a member of this parish, but uh, she comes over here every now and then. She said, just look upon this as a resting time, and you're waiting for our Lord to give you your new assignment. Mm. So that was very helpful, too. I thought, yes, I'm waiting for my new assignment, and we will just see what happens. See what happens. Because that's something I've learned, Chris. I was a major worrier about everything through the years, and there was a lot of stress with work and other aspects of life. Worry about this, worry about that. My father was so calm about things, and he just believed what's meant to be will be. Hmm. This Lord wants it to happen, it's going to happen. And maybe with age... This wisdom comes that you, you just 
God is in charge. Mm-hmm. We, we're not in control. We have to trust. Right. We do what we can. He doesn't want us to sit back and say, do nothing, I'll right. handle the whole thing. Um, but we have to trust him and say, okay, you'll get me out of this. St. Teresa of Avila wrote that, that every time in her life when she felt she was going over the edge or at a crisis moment, he always sends someone or something to pull me back and to help me mm-hmm. and to put me on the right path. And, and I have to say that also. There have been a f- many times in my life that I was either about to do something or something was going to happen, and he, he does something to pull me pull back. Pull you back. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we... Um we're approaching the end of mm-hmm. our time. Yeah, my goodness. And yet I've got questions still for sure, you. Sure, sure. So we're going to have to do this again. Okay. Uh, one of the questions will be uh, your writing. Because you yes. mentioned it many, many times. Yeah. And yet it didn't seem to be like a primary thing. Oh, it, it is too. But it is. But So I want to ask you about that eventually. Uh-huh. And I also want to ask you about your connection to the Carmelite spirituality. Um, mm-hmm. So... We'll have to arrange another one down yes, the road, absolutely, um, so that I can uh, we can explore that side of your life. Very good. In, in the meantime, yes, I do have books published, so if anyone's interested, they can get in touch with me or look on Amazon. Yeah, we can talk about the writing. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. very important. Absolutely, yes. mm-hmm. yep, yep. So uh, this was he, grand. I, I, I always, <laughs> I you know, when we never have really sat down no, and chatted before, I didn't know. Hardly anything about you. I knew, yeah. you know, I knew yeah. about you. you had a career yeah. in airlines, mm-hmm. but we um, chat on Facebook and, that's and we it. we back and forth. Right. But yes, we've exactly. never had a heart to heart. And we say hello. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, in keeping with our tradition, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up by saying the Lord's prayer together. Yeah. Okay. So, in the name of the Father, Father and of the Son, Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a blessed way to start the day, Regina. Yes, Chris. And I thank you for the time and the effort to come down here and, well, thank uh, you. chat. And I, and I hope that our listeners enjoy uh, the time that we spent together. I hope so. Yeah. It was wonderful to do this. And I'll talk with you again. Yes, thank you, Chris. Right. Have a blessed God day. God bless. God Praise bless. God. Amen. Let's Talk Parish is produced and directed by Rex Rolanka. Our associate producers are Titi Kila and Chris Jensen. The music is Path to Glory by Ihor Bitsinski. Our host has been Chris Jensen. And a special thanks goes to the very Reverend Father Michael O'Reilly, Rector of the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament. If you wish to donate to the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament, a link will be provided in the episode notes. Or you can go to the Cathedral website at www.cathedralsacramento.org. 
Thank you for listening. And until we meet again, may God be with us all. Thank you.